Petrus, plenty of time. Throws and picked off. DiCaprio Poodle. From 10 11 now. Robinson in motion. Johnson breaks through, dies for the touchdown. And the 10 11 studios in Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, sacked as he was trying to throw it. Chauncey Golston makes the big play for the this is the End Report Podcast. The Huskers are heading to the home stretch of the 2020 football season with Brett Baker and Dane Corey. I'm Kevin Suits. Thanks for listening to the In Report Podcast. Gentlemen, we enter the December portion of Nebraska's schedule. Three games remain, keeping our fingers crossed. This one up this week is at Purdue. Didn't Saturday feel weird? Because when Nebraska plays Iowa, the last two seasons, well, the last three, the season's been done. And, and you always think it's Sunday. So there was two things wrong with Saturday. It's like, oh, Nebraska has two or three more games left, and it's not Sunday. Just felt weird. It felt great. You know, in fact, I always look forward to that great. Saturday. Yeah, it, it felt great that, uh, you know, we were able to watch a lot of other college football games. You know, typically our, our game weeks are spent, our Saturdays are spent covering the Huskers and following their every move. And so being able to uh, give the remote a little bit of a workout gave us kind of the uh, every college fan's uh, experience, I guess. I look forward to that every, every year, the Saturday after Nebraska plays on Friday. Boy, that Northwestern Michigan State game really had my attention. Couldn't peel my <laughs> eyes away from that one. It was weird not seeing Ohio State and Michigan the day after Nebraska-Iowa because that's I always watch that game, as do many others. And, you know, it's kind of weird not seeing that, but that was the only weirdness. I will say the two things I always try to accomplish on the Saturday after Nebraska plays on Black Friday is watch a lot of college football and hang up some Christmas lights. I did one of the two, and you guys can guess which one happened uh, this past week. So now we look ahead to the Huskers getting back into a more normal routine, though the players, it's worth noting, guys, that the fall semester of school is done. So it's kind of all football for them right now. However, there still are some limitations on how many hours they can be spent with the coaching staff. But the Huskers are going to really focus their attention on trying to finish strong with the three games ahead. Uh, this Purdue contest, the Huskers are an underdog. They're heading to West Lafayette. And last year, these two teams played a really uh, exciting game, one that did not go Nebraska's way. I feel like we're in for an interesting three weeks um, as far as the cancellations and postponements and players in, players out. I feel like with Nebraska, we've kind of been spoiled in that regard ever since the Wisconsin debacle um, and just kind of it feeling normal, at least game week, um, four or five weeks in a row. And, and even Scott Frost alluded to it on Monday that um, it, it could be an interesting three weeks to see if we get these games played. Minnesota right now is just a mess with, with COVID cases within its program. I've had my doubts as far as that Champions Week uh, regarding uh, other games being played that weekend besides the Big Ten Championship. Um, so I mean, this could be it. This could be Nebraska's end to the season uh, this Saturday against Purdue. Hopefully not, but it certainly is. Uh, in consideration. And that would be pretty on par with 2020 and how adventurous it's been. Not to get too far down the rabbit hole, guys, but you know there is a chance that Ohio State is not eligible for the Big Ten championship game. There's a chance that Michi uh, Wisconsin, excuse me, is not eligible for the Big Ten championship. In fact, that fate is already sealed. So there is a possibility in which if those two teams do not qualify for the conference title game, they could still play each other on December 19th as the number two teams in their respective divisions. 
they could still play each other. It's pretty wild. Um, but the Big Ten, as the cases continue to rise uh, or maintain in Minnesota, and there are other schools that are dealing with the rising cases. And Scott Frost said on Monday that you know he understands football is not as big as uh, the pandemic that is sweeping the nation and globally. He understands that. However, uh, advocating for his team, he wants to play these games. But it sounds like he is preparing himself for the possibility of these three games, one of them, maybe two of them, perhaps three of them not being played because things can change and they can change very quickly. You really kind of want for these guys one more opportunity to go out there and at least put a good foot forward and end on, on a kind of up note. And, you know, who knows? I know there's no regulations on bowl games, but I don't know that a one in four team or a one in six, two and five, whatever it ends up being is going to be what they're looking for. Uh, so, yeah, you hope that they have the chance to end this thing with a good, you know, the, their best foot forward. But who knows? I think there are a lot of burning questions right now as we move forward and look ahead uh, at the week that lies ahead for Nebraska with this game against Purdue. There are a lot of burning questions, Dan, with this team. One, what is going on? Marcus Fleming is now no longer a part of the program. The center situation, the snaps continue to be an issue. And why can't, I, why can't they close close games? It's been a recurring theme in the Scott Frost era. So I think fans, uh, not only are they frustrated, Dan, I think they're just getting exhausted. This season, even though it's only had five games, I feel like it's been quite the marathon for those that follow Nebraska football closely. And don't you feel like that's been the case over the last few years? I, I, I know from, uh, from my point of view, um, that's the word I would use not only with this year, but the previous two or even three years going to back to Riley's last year. And, uh, you know, going back to the Iowa game, I, I feel like if you would have told Nebraska fans, okay, 26-20, Nebraska is going to have a chance to win it late. Um, I, I think just about every fan would have taken that because a lot of people were expecting Iowa to bulldoze Nebraska, and that did not happen. Uh, Nebraska, again, shot itself in the foot, could not get out of its own way. You mentioned a few things there, the snaps, the penalties, uh, obviously the muffed punt really cost Nebraska. Um, but I, I want to dive deeper into the post-game press conference uh, after the Iowa game, and Scott Frost was a, maybe a little more um, relaxed today, but, you know, after those losses over the past three years, we really get some raw emotion from Frost, and uh, that was probably one of his most um, uh, deep uh, press conferences since he's been here, um, and he had some noteworthy things. Kevin, where, where do you even start with that press conference? Because there was a lot to digest in that. He wore it on his face. That's my biggest takeaway is that that looked like a man that is just, he's tired of it. And he, he's searching for answers and he has to continue to say the same message in different ways to the, to a dejected locker room. So yes, Dan, there were encouraging signs about the way Nebraska played, but Scott Frost, it's not like he was rattling off excellent quotes every 30 seconds. He did have some nice stuff that played very well on, uh, 10, 11 and, and across the newspapers, across Nebraska. However, I just think overall, the way he looked, the way he spoke, and that's what's so cool about what we get to do, the visual medium. There's a distinct difference between reading the things he said on a newspaper or in print form, as opposed to seeing them. Scott didn't really look at the camera on Saturday after Friday, excuse me, after that loss to uh, Iowa. He continued to keep his eyes down. He had his lips pierced 
a couple of times, and you just he just wore it. He's tired, Dan. There was he said, he, the one good quote in there that I think everybody nodded in, agree, in agreement was, it's making me old. And I feel like when he said that, there were so many people across Nebraska and across the fan base that were just like, yeah, they're making me old too. Yeah, and there was a lot of pauses too in there, a lot of deep breaths. And, um, you know, the, the one that has some people talking was his last quote. And he, he said that this state has doubted me before. Uh, and there's probably a few out there right now. He knows what happened then. And it's going to happen again, referencing um, probably the the doubt that he felt in this state when he came back as, as quarterback and then led them to the national championship in 1997. I think some fans are, are sick of hearing um, that message, I, I give credit to Frost because his message really hasn't changed in the three years. I just wonder in regards to Scott Frost talking about the discipline in the program and needing to clean up the little things. We've heard that for so many times and, and people point to him as the head coach and saying, you're the head coach, you know, your team reflects you. Um, so why isn't it getting it, it fixed? Yeah, the culture conversation continues, and Scott Frost references them as culture keepers and culture killers. And, you know, there are some weeds. You, you, you got to weed it out a little bit. And you got to keep in mind these are 18 to 22 year old young men um, that, for, for some of them, it's their first time living away from home. And they're not only living away from home this year, they're living away from home in a pandemic when there are so many different rules and regulations and guidelines locally on campus. Uh, and it goes on. So it's not easy in, you know, some of these departures, it's not that the coaching staff swung and missed when they went after some of these guys, they were trying to evaluate. And you got to realize evaluating is much different now than it was 15 years ago. And maybe that there are, they are just identifying some habits when these uh, young men get on campus that they don't really align with what Nebraska football wants to happen from a culture standpoint, because from day one, Scott Frost talked about establishing the culture and how they had to tear it completely down from the previous regime and then they had to put in what they want and it's still an ongoing process. Scott himself has said it's still not where it needs to be. However, they are continuing to work at it and that's where guys like Adrian Martinez are so important to the, the, the development of what Scott Frost and his coaching staff want to have inside the locker room walls in North Stadium. I really respected Adrian Martinez um, previous to this year, but over these last few weeks, I have gained um, just even more of a liking and a respect for Nebraska's junior quarterback captain. The things that he said, the video that we saw before uh, one of the games when Luke McCaffrey was starting and him encouraging his teammates in a pregame speech, and then uh, us asking questions about uh, that benching um, and, and he just gives the right answers. And um, I feel like that really fired him up. And maybe it was kind of a, you know, looking back on it, uh, maybe it was a strategic move from Frost because it sounds, um, you know, it sounds like they were really even in practice um, going into that Iowa game. And uh, Adrian came out and played well. Uh, obviously, we know what happened on the last play when Nebraska was on offense, but 18 to 20 through the air. I mean, that's a 90% clip. And I think uh, uh, that is good enough to win the game. That is for sure. Dan, that's the Nebraska single game record. 
you know, from a guy that did not start the previous two and, games. And the sad thing is, is no one's talking about it. Right. You know, I, I mean, it, it just goes unnoticed when you lose. And especially when, unfortunately, you turn the ball over on a, on a missed block. Um, oh, my goodness, because Nebraska was cooking on that last drive. They hooked up with Wandale at the 39-yard line. They had a minute and a half left. And Nebraska, you had the feeling that maybe this was it. Maybe this was just the break, the time that Nebraska could get over the hump. And what a different conversation and a feel it would be around this state if that did indeed happen. But again, just the sixth straight time losing to Iowa. Yeah, Dan, they were definitely on the move on that last drive. And it's unfortunate it ended the way it did. My takeaway from the, the finish to the Iowa game was it just ended so abruptly because they, they started uh, deep in their own territory. They got across midfield. It seemed like they had something uh, good moving. But getting back to your point about Adrian Martinez and the way that he has been so honest and outspoken about the situation regarding Nebraska's quarterbacks over the past few weeks. Um, he even used the words, when I got demoted, mm-hmm. you know, that's hard to speak aloud, you know, even beyond college athletics, somebody that maybe would experience that in the workplace or in some sort of committee or group that uh, they're a part of in the community, you know, admitting that your status took a hit and you had to step back to allow somebody else to assume your role. That's tough. But he has not shied away from the facts of this. Plus, it's been extremely public. And I think the fact that, you know, Adrian has been so comfortable in his own skin and talking about how he managed this and not only managed it selflessly, but also with in mind of like, what can I still do given my current circumstance to help my teammates play to the best of their ability? And that's where the leadership comes out. So I'm with you, Dan. I I continue to just be so impressed with Adrian Martinez, the human and Scott Frost, you know, he's shared that with us multiple times about we have two great young men playing at the quarterback position. And I think that they knew when they made the switch. And I don't think that the coaching staff made the switch with the premise of firing up Adrian Martinez or trying to refocus him. I think at the time they really felt like Luke McCaffrey gave the team the best chance to win. And by way of doing so, it just provided a new element to the to the team. And it, it, it provided a bit of a spark and it just had a different look on the field. So uh, making the move was the move that they made. And I do expect Adrian Martinez to quarterback this team as the starting QB for the remainder of the season. I agree. And I obviously said on this podcast that I think uh, you needed to give Luke McCaffrey a shot um, throughout the entire game to see what he could provide. And and we saw that we know now what Luke McCaffrey can do throughout the entirety of a game. And, and uh, some people do not like the two quarterback system for me, as long as the offense um, is okay with it, the players, the personnel on the field, and it, it appears that the two quarterbacks are fine with it. I, I kind of like it. Um, my uh, radar goes up a little when McCaffrey comes into the game. And, and uh, we even see them uh, both on one series. Remember, Luke came in, got the first down with two runs, and then Adrian came back in. Um, I feel like maybe sometimes you can't get too carried away with it. Uh, maybe I'd like to see McCaffrey at a different position, but there's only so much, so much time in practice. It's not like you can practice him at running back, wide receiver, and quarterback, um, although he seems willing to do that. Um, he's, uh, people keep making the comparison, Taysom Hill, uh, but he is definitely a curveball, and if you throw him in, at any position on the field, uh, the defensive coordinator on the other side, 
his uh, uh, attention uh, definitely goes goes up right away to number seven. Here's my thought on the whole situation regarding Martinez, McCaffrey, and the quarterback situation. Start Martinez the rest of the year. He's earned it. He's done a phenomenal job from a leadership standpoint. The team is one and four. You're not playing for a Big Ten championship. Now championship you're just trying to get some momentum and I think Adrian Martinez probably gives you the best chance to maybe string some wins together I'd like to see both Martinez and McCaffrey on the field more frequently not only from the uh dynamicness that both of them bring to the field if that's even a word but the fact that Nebraska's running back situation is really in flux Diedrich Mills hasn't played over the past few weeks. We've had Marvin Scott out for a game. Ronald Tompkins hasn't played. You know, they're really thin at running back. So you need more playmakers on the field, most notably at the running back position. And you cannot run Wondell Robinson 30 times in a game. So I do think he needs to touch the ball more still. But I, I just think, you know, putting Martinez and McCaffrey on the field at the same time, not only would it be fun, and um, it, it just would make it more difficult on an opposing defense, but it would almost help your personnel out because you're thin at the running back spot. I'd like to see that happen. Um, but Dan, you bring up a good point about how much can you throw at Luke McCaffrey, a redshirt freshman uh, within a week of preparation. Maybe the Huskers have some tricks up their sleeve that they're holding. I don't know, but when you're one and four, sometimes you can just try new things. And sometimes you can really get as creative as you'd like because you don't have a whole lot to lose. And I think now would be, be about the time to just you know Scott Frost is always if he put the pen to paper at the dinner table and said I wonder if we did this because you know he's an offensive guy he's a play caller he's a play designer maybe if he was curious about something try it what's stopping you right now yeah uh you know like you said they're thin at running back I I was glad to see Ramir Johnson kind of bounce back he was um you know I was kind of wondering what his situation was we hadn't seen him in previous weeks he came in I thought he played pretty well um, and, and remember, um, you got Ramir Johnson and Ronald Tompkins in that class to go along with Marvin Scott and, and Savion Morris, who won't be available for Purdue. Uh, talking about the defense a little bit, Kevin, I, I feel like they held up pretty well uh, against Iowa. They forced field goals um, uh, against the Hawkeyes and, and didn't get pushed around like I think a lot of people thought maybe they would. There were still a couple busts. I feel like that's going to happen. That, and they did uh, pick off Petrus. Uh, defense played about how I thought it would, gave the offense a shot to win, uh, and, and just couldn't do it. Defense played really well. That's a unit that continues to get better, and I'll throw a few things at you guys. Uh, Nebraska's played five games total this year. Three of their opponents have scored three touchdowns or less. You know, Northwestern, they held to 21 points. You know, Iowa, they had 26. But, you know, a lot of those points were uh, field goals by uh, Keith Duncan, and then against Penn State, Nebraska held the Nittany Lions to 23. So the numbers are pretty good from a defensive standpoint. Uh, and as the point that we've made on this podcast multiple times before, they are just playing a more aggressive brand of uh, football. And I asked uh, Scott Frost about this during Monday's news conference, and he feels they're tackling really well. And that's been a big part of the defensive success. Speaking of defense, Brett, the defensive coordinator for Purdue is Bob Diaco. This is the Bob Diaco Bowl. And we'll let you share some memories of Nebraska's former defensive coordinator. Arguably one of the most unique characters to briefly flash across Nebraska's radar in low these many years we've all been watching, covering, enjoying Husker athletics. Um, you know, the guys had success at earlier stops. So I don't know that it was necessarily uh, – the immediate reaction wasn't a bad hire. Obviously, 
in the wake it was a bad hire, but just uh, he dresses the most normal of any normal person I've ever seen, but is the weirdest of any most normal looking. Uh, just the, the things he would say, the things he would emphasize, uh, holding the lavalier mic. And, and for those not in the broadcast business, a, a microphone, the big stick microphones are the one you normally see in a reporter's hands. The lavalier one is they pin, the one they pin to your lapel or your tie or your, your shirt, and it's and it's very tiny. Well, he, he chose all that in his hands. Why, nobody knows, but I always just thought it was hilarious. Uh, and it was just another thing to add onto the quirks of Bob Diaco, um, who at least, I mean... You know, he made for he made for good copy. I will say that. I was just going to add that too, Brett. For our purposes at ten eleven, he there was never a shortage of material for us to use. I remember, you know, his introductory news conference. As I was writing down my notes from the press conference, usually when you hear a good soundbite, you put a star by it. And I think my entire notebook had stars on every single line. And I was like, man, this guy's a soundbite machine. And then I remember speaking to a colleague of ours who had covered Bob Diaco when he was the defensive co coordinator at Notre Dame because he shared some footage of him uh, with us. And he was like, oh, you're going to love this guy, but he's a little bit odd. And I think that might have been the word he used. And uh, that that was, I guess, an appropriate description. There were just so many mannerisms, Brett, uh, you know, beyond the great quotes. I mean, he was a he, pretty big vocabulary, too. And there were sometimes you had to look up the words that he used in a press conference. Uh, but holding the lavalier mic, um, remember he would, he, he had his, like, he looked like a seventh grade gym teacher during practice. Cause he would tuck his, his sweatshirt. Everything his tucked pants. into the sweatpants, including like his play calling card. Yeah. And it was like tight, like and maybe man, above his navel even. He, he would get after the guys and it just looked like so different than anything you would normally see at a football practice. And then a couple of the, like the quotes, remember the strain, and there's no reasonable reason. There's like, no reasonable reason to expect. And the, like the strain, the strain is spectacular. Do you not see it? The strain. You, you, you know, can that, feel it, can't you? Can you see that the strain? quote went viral? And I remember <laughs> um, the following new, the following day of new interviews with the players. One of the reporters that covers Nebraska football for one of the newspapers wrote the quote out and then read it to one of the defensive players to say like, what What does this mean to you? And the player, who I believe graduated with like a 3839 GPA, looked at the reporter like, what on earth are you talking about? He's like, well, that came from your defensive coordinator following the game uh, the previous couple of days. So there was that quote. And then the, the last image of Bob Diaco as an employee at the University of Nebraska. Because and gift him. He was fired uh, with the Mike Riley coaching staff when he shows up to Memorial Stadium the day that, you know, those guys got the axe wearing an Argyle sweater. It's like he was getting ready to go to somebody's birthday party. And he even kind of gave a little, he had the shades on and gave a little shooter wave to <laughs> some of the reporters that were there. I mean, it, it, it was just a wild experience covering Bob Diaco. And, you know, Scott Frost and his staff, has not held back on some of their analysis on the previous coaching staff and the habits that were allowed in the locker room. So I'm pretty sure Bob Diaco knows about Scott Frost's opinion of what happened when he was in Lincoln. So it's going to be interesting when those two are on the field together. I don't know if they have a relationship, but clearly there have been things spoken 
from Scott's camp toward Diaco and the folks that had coached at Nebraska previously. So I'm curious what that relationship is like and what that dynamic is like when the game kicks off on Saturday at 11 a.m. Well, I'm a little worried about this game. Uh, I feel like I uh, Nebraska coaches and players put so much into that Iowa game and you could see the look on on their faces after that game um, and, and you turn around and you play a Purdue team who's not very good um, on paper at 11 a.m. on the road um, that's going to be an empty stadium uh, remember Purdue has beaten Nebraska the last two years um, and, and so you just can't look and say oh it's Purdue Nebraska's going to roll by 21. I mean, David Bell has and Rondale Moore have the capability to go for 300 yards combined uh, in any game. And, and so I, I'm a little, uh, this game has my attention. That is for sure. So Purdue comes into this matchup uh, with the two and three overall record. They've been very competitive this year. And I believe they ranked first in the Big Ten in passing yardage. They've had to switch quarterbacks, but I think the big passing numbers are a result of having two extremely talented wide receivers. That's going to be fun to watch on Saturday, watching Greg Bell line up against uh, DiCaprio Boodle or Cam Taylor Britt, whoever gets that assignment. And then Rondell Moore is their other one that, uh, you know, we're keeping our fingers crossed that he plays. He's missed some time this year, but he's about as, a, a, as athletic as anybody in the conference. Yeah, and uh, Rondale Moore, very close to Wandale Robinson, not only in name, but uh, the two were friends, grew up together, and uh, um, I, I believe this is going to be their first time playing against each other. Uh, I want to say Wandale was out. No, Wandale played last year. Rondale was out, but David Bell had a big game uh, against Nebraska, so um, you know, one and four, and, and that was kind of the question uh, Monday for Frost and the players. How do you stay motivated? And uh, that's certainly going to be tested over, over, certainly for this game, if not more. Well, and it's well, tough. To it's tough. I don't, I know you guys probably played high school ball, and the last thing anybody wants is old guys talking about their, their glory days. Or My junior year in high school, we went 0 and 9. And every week we would go out there and we would bust our ass in practice. And we'd think, okay, this is going to be the one. We got it locked out. We got it together. And every week we'd get our teeth kicked in. And that happened for nine straight weeks. And by the end, yeah, you're just like, I just, I got to have enough pride to finish this because it, it's rough. It, I, I, it's, I don't wish that on anyone in any activity because you got to have some taste to success to, to kind of reap the rewards of the work you're putting in. And I know for these guys, it's, it's a slog right now. It has to be because all of those things that you saw dangling out there at the beginning of the season are not there anymore. Now it's just, what can we do to get a W? And so it's, it's a gut check time. It's a suck it up time. They're going to have to dig deep because getting, getting run over again you know, by Purdue or any other, it, it's a very real possibility that they're going to have to fight to avoid. Especially the manner in which Nebraska has lost so far this season. Northwestern was a one possession game. You know, the Iowa, the Illinois performance was very regrettable for the Huskers, just didn't show up that day. And then Iowa, they had their shot at the end as well. So some uh, mental fortitude definitely going to be tested this week for the Huskers. Um, it's an 11 o'clock game. It'll be televised on BTN, Nebraska and Purdue. 
but to be glass half full guy here for a second, you know, Nebraska can win this game, Dan, it is a quote, winnable, winnable game. game, which is one of Dan's favorite phrases. Uh, going back to a Nebraska-Purdue game a few years ago, something Scott Frost said. But he, all he said was, yeah, this game is a winnable game, and we're going to go out there and try and do our best or something like that. It just Purdue, goes to show how, how little of a thing uh, an opponent will use as motivation against Nebraska. Keith Duncan, uh, the kicker for Iowa, talked about Nebraska growing mustaches. All Kate Warner said was, yeah, I, I guess some guys are growing some mustaches this week. The bulletin board, if it's empty, you will find anything to put on there to try to motivate a team. But the Huskers, they, they, this is a winnable game. They can beat Purdue. And then, fingers crossed, they're able to play Minnesota um, in two weeks. Um, that's a team that's not going to play again this week due to COVID-19. And that game uh, might be in a little bit of jeopardy for uh, both teams. But Minnesota is aiming to play it right now. They may be very thin in numbers if they are able to play. Um, so there's an opportunity if they play, Nebraska could potentially beat the Golden Gophers and then a crossover game. So uh, one of the players we spoke to on Monday, Dan, said the goal right now is to finish with three wins. And if that's the case, they finish with a 500 record. As we finish up the In Report podcast, Dan and Brett, I think we want to touch on something that uh, was a main theme of Nebraska's news conference on Monday. And it was, you know, not talking about the current state of the team, was not talking about the matchup that's ahead, but it was about the way in which athletes are coached in 2020 and this generation of college student athletes. Adrian Martinez was great when asked about this, and he said he likes to be coached hard. That's him. And his perspective of uh, his peers has changed a little bit that, you know, one size doesn't fit all when it comes to coaches relaying a message and trying to motivate their student athletes. I posted on Twitter just kind of a quick synopsis of what Adrian Martinez said, and it's picked up a lot of steam. And a lot of the steam that's been picked up is some former players chiming in. For instance, Brandon Riley said, agreed, he agrees with Adrian Martinez, he likes to be coached tough. And he references a situation with Keith Williams, his former position coach. He says that Keith lit me up in the first half against Miami. I was PO'd at him, but he was right. Then I balled out the remainder of the game. So Brandon Riley likes being coached tough. Jeremiah Searle says, quote, I tell you this, you don't like getting yelled at or coached hard in college. Good luck because you will never make it in the NFL. That is a fact. Good players are coachable and have thick skin. Jay Foreman, former Blackshirt, says, quote, if you don't like being coached, go play a different sport. It doesn't matter what you like. What matters is you do your job to the maximum. No other ways about it. And if he slash she is yelling at you, then that means 99% he actually cares. When the coach coaching hard stops, then you need to worry. Very interesting discussion that kind of came out of the weeds of this news conference. And it is a, a talking point. It doesn't have much relevancy to what's happening for this week for the Huskers trying to beat Purdue, but it is something about college athletes in 2020. What do you guys take out of this? Well, Adrian kind of broke down the, the different type of leader he needs to be for different players on the team. The way he indicated with, he's kind of shifted his view on that uh, since being at Nebraska and, and obviously a two-time captain now into, you know, everybody's a little different. 
And, uh, you know, the ones that need to be yelled at, I'm not going to do it in front of the team, which I respect. I'm going to do it off to the side. Um, and I, I feel like anybody who's been maybe yelled at in a workplace, you know, in front of everybody, all your uh, coworkers, or if that person brings you off to the side and, and instructs you that way, um, yeah, I, I can certainly see uh, why Adrian is a captain. He, he, he gave a great response, and I also agree with what Brandon, uh, Jeremiah, and also Jay Foreman said, said as well, um, especially in football. Um, but a great insight from Adrian Martinez. It's just got to be hard coaching these young men in 2020. You can't coach them now as you would have coached somebody uh, 20 years ago. And in the like, players in the locker room can't speak to their teammates the same way they did would have 20 years ago. Brett, your big takeaway on this discussion? Well, you know, I do, I do coach high school students, uh, and we are very competitive. That speech and football are obviously very different things. But we're a very competitive team and we always compete to, to succeed and do well. And there are different kids and you have to coach them different and you have to spend the time to understand what motivates them. I know the ones that I can get on and I know the ones that I just need to give just a little needle to. And that's all they need because they're probably harder on themselves than I could ever be on them, which I think is probably true for the three of us like in our professions. Nobody ever has to, to beat me up more when I screw up because than myself because I know I'm going to beat myself up the worst. I think you guys are probably the same. So a lot of that is just understanding what's that, what's best for what. There's no cookie-cutter approach. And some kids, they do want that in your face. Other kids are a little less, you know, they're a little adverse to that. So it's understanding what makes that kid tick and then blending that all in so that it all works seamlessly with everybody else. And, and, it's, a, and it's a team deal. And Jay's absolutely right. If I'm not getting on a kid, that's a signal that they need to pick up on that they're that, that they're losing their place. They're 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 not getting what they need from me because I'm not getting what I need from them. Scott Frost says it starts with love. That's at least how he and his uh, co assistant coaches uh, are going to approach this. You know how to motivate kids, how to communicate with them, so try to love them up, show them that they care. And he feels like if that can be felt all throughout the locker room then you've got something really special going. We'll see how it affects on the, how it plays out on the football field this Saturday as Nebraska travels to West Lafayette to play Purdue. The Huskers looking for a win after a couple of losses in back-to-back -back weeks, including last week's heartbreaker at Iowa. Thanks for listening to the In Report podcast with Brett Baker and Dan Corey. I'm Kevin Suits. Tune in to 10-11 for coverage of the Huskers all week long, leading off to kickoff on Saturday, 11 a.m., a game that'll be televised on BC. You've been listening to the End Report Podcast from 1011 Now. Subscribe and leave a ratings on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you download your podcast. For more Husker coverage throughout the week, watch 1011 Now Sports and download the 1011 Now app. This is an alert from your... Stay up to date during severe weather season with push notifications from the 1011 Now weather app. Download the 1011 Now weather app for free today.